0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lunatics Radio Hour podcast. I'm Abby Branker. I'm here with Alan Kudan. Hello. And today we have a very special Lunatics Library episode for you.
1: This is Lunatics Library?
0: Lunatics Library. Today we're featuring our scariest stories ever. So, what that means is these are stories you may have heard before, but they are kind of the, the ones that gave us chills.
1: So this is kind of like the, the recap episode that comes in like at the beginning of season four.
0: It, or it's like a flashback episode on Friends, you know? We're kind of revisiting some across topics, right? This isn't tied to a specific topic, but we're revisiting some of the spookiest stories we've had so far.
1: How spooky we talking?
0: Well, they are the spookiest.
1: <laughs> it's pretty, pretty spooky, huh?
0: Pretty spooky. Before we jump right in, I do have a very, very quick housekeeping note, logistics note for everybody, Okay, which is just a very friendly reminder that we have a merch store. It's a wonderful way to support the podcast. The designs are super cool. They're all designed by our friend Pilar Kep. You can go to lunatics.com, click on merch at the top of the page, and it brings you to our store. And we have some new things that are coming soon, some new products, if you will. So it's a great thing to keep your eye on. And we love we just love the way that the, the designs look, you know, the, the sweatshirts and the t-shirts. We think they look really cool. So we wanted to make sure you knew that that existed.
1: Can can you give us a, a little little teaser on what's coming? Because I didn't know we had new stuff coming.
0: We have a lot of friends who are having babies. We do? Tis the season. Oh. And so we have some kids and baby versions coming. We're also going to put some new products in. Same designs for now, but just some new variations on apparel and accessories and kids kids apparel too
1: and you can take photos and post with the hashtag spooky kids
0: yeah or you can just tag us the lunatics project anywhere you post we would love to see uh your merch in the wild and that is true for even if you already have stuff we would love to see how you wear it in in your life uh so getting getting back to
1: our scary stories here yes so what what kind of topics are we talking about today
0: all topics. The only unifying theme is that they're scary. Okay. So, All right. get in the right headspace.
1: Just going to blindside me. Okay, let's do it.
0: Let's do it. Here we go. Roll the tape.
2: The Hiss. Written by Abby Brinker. Read by Adam Bashion.
3: The vibrations from the subway rattled up my feet and through my joints as I rode the train towards work. I held the cold metal pole in front of me, avoiding the inevitable accidental eye contact with other commuters. When the announcer started to speak, I slid my hand into my jacket pocket and turned down the volume of my music. Just enough to hear. Attention riders, due to police activity, this train is being held in the tunnel. I repeat, due to police activity, this train is being held. Thank you for your patience. Fuck, I said under my breath. The adrenaline from the situation was waking up my groggy brain. I'd be late for work again. The other travelers went back to their headphones and books. Quiet returned to the train car. Acceptance passed through all of us. We'd be late for work. The minutes ticked on. The unrest started to grow in my throat. The panic of being trapped inside a slim metal train car packed with people and no way out. There was nothing I could do to urge the train forward. No escape hatch, no easy exit. I tried to calm my brain, deciding to pull up a meditation instead of the metal music, but no service. Great. Don't panic. People started to shift uncomfortably. One rider who was standing sat down, right on the dirty subway car ground. I thought of how much sticky spilled coffee and dried spit mucus lined that floor. I stayed standing. The conductor's voice echoed again through the car. Everybody dropped an earbud to listen. Ladies and gentlemen, we apologize for the delay. We know you all have places to be. There is a train stuck up ahead. I repeat, the train up ahead is experiencing mechanical failure. Sit tight. The travelers around me erupted into frustrated moans. Mechanical failure didn't sound good. If only we'd been stalled at a station, but no, we were stuck, frozen, in the tunnel between 28th and 23rd Street, less than a stop from my destination. My mind wandered, wondering how hard it would be to sneak off the train and walk to the station. Impossible, I knew, but I was so close to freedom. Fuck the MTA, I muttered to myself. The blue-haired girl next to me overheard. Seriously, she returned. How many fare raises does it take to fix a mechanical problem? I smiled and nodded. Suddenly, a terrible noise filled my ears. It sounded like metal crunching into metal. My first thought was they must be towing the train up ahead out of the way. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain calm as we look into what's going on up ahead. What the fuck? I thought, don't they know? Vibrations started to shoot up from the subway car's floor again, but this time we weren't moving. My feet shook. I gripped the pole tighter. The lights flickered in the car. The other commuters started to panic. Headphones were pulled out of ears. A few people stood, trying to see out of the windows. As the lights turned off again, I saw something move through the car's long window. Judging by the screams, others had seen it too. I didn't know what it was. It was shadowy and dark. But I instantly knew that the train ahead hadn't stalled. That something had stopped it. And now it was here. Now it was outside our train car. The lights died again, this time they didn't flicker back on. There was movement outside the window on the other side of the train, and then the sound of rattling and hissing. It filled my ears so violently I immediately threw my hands over them, trying to block out the terrible noise, but it was no good. The sound penetrated my eardrums as if a thousand snakes lived inside my brain. I looked to the left as one of the car doors was slowly being pried open. What was outside? The people closest to the door started to scream and scamper away, tripping over the other commuters as everyone pushed away from the opening door. People crammed densely into the two opposite ends of the car, creating a hole in the middle. With a bang, the door slammed open. For a second, there was nothing. And then purplish smoke started to fill the car. From all sides of the opening, snakes started to slither in. Terrified screams erupted from the passengers. People were clawing to get away from the snakes, trying to pry open the other windows and escape. The suicide-proof windows didn't open wide enough. We were stuck. The snakes kept coming. Ten. Twenty. It was hard to tell how many there were. The hissing sounds unbearable. The purple smoke had made it impossible to see. Like we were all just in a nightmare. And then she entered. She entered. The snakes recoiled, and we saw in horrified clarity that they were attached to her head. They were part of her. The snakes sprouted from her right where her hair should have been. They ebbed and changed size and shape, acting as her fluid scouts and arms. They arched upwards, slithering into the air around her in all directions, making her look so much bigger than she was. If it hadn't been for the terrifying mob of serpents across her crown... She wouldn't have been so scary. Small but muscular, her skin a faded green. She almost would have looked sickly if her cheeks weren't flush with color. She turned her head and looked right at me. I felt her eyes pierce my soul, and the eyes of every single creature on her head scanned me, looking not at me, but through me, right into my core. I felt like I was being electrocuted by her gaze, and then she looked on, filling me with temporary relief until I tried to look, to move, to do anything. I was frozen, but not like the train in the tunnel. I was stone, pure stone. I couldn't even see my body to confirm, but judging by the other souls in front of me, slowly turning into statues before my eyes, the girl with the blue hair looked at me, horror in her eyes as she transformed into solid rock. I can see her out of the corner of my eye, and I know her stare will be locked in me for as long as we remain. Our minds are alive. Maybe not even our minds, but our souls, something. Some spark of life is still active within us, resulting in excruciating agony. A never-ending purgatory. A never-ending retelling of this story, this moment, over and over again. As the passengers turned into rock, Medusa's skin grew brighter her stance taller, her serpent hair longer, the hiss louder. She fed off our flesh, strengthening her terror. She swept off the train car, leaving us here in darkness, alone but together, buried alive in the tombs of our own bodies. Would they ever come to clear the train? Or did she get the whole city, preserving our final terrified seconds of corporeal life as she slithered back to whatever hellscape from which she crawled out.
1: Okay, scale from one to ten. How spooky was that one? 500. 500.
0: Do you agree? No. (laughs) Ah, a logical response. Okay, I'll say a six. A six? If ten is like, I'm being buried alive, yeah, a six.
1: That's your biggest fear?
0: I don't want to say my biggest fear publicly. I don't want anyone to ever use it against me.
1: Don't worry. We're, it's not recording. What? What is it?
0: <laughs> I'm not going to say. Okay. But enjoy the next story. Roll the tape.
1: Maybe it'll be your biggest fear. <laughs> I hope not.
2: Clown Shoes. Written by Abby Branker. Read by John Maxtrom.
4: She watched in disgust as the sweat from his brow melted his white face paint. His mouth was smeared with red. What used to be his exaggerated lip lines now looked like he had feasted on something bloody and raw. A lit cigarette clung to his open mouth, stuck to the makeup. He snapped his suspenders as he took in the scene, inhaling the smoke, waiting for her to show herself a few feet away she held her breath she tried to still her mind don't panic she kept repeating to herself little girl little girl where did you go little girl little girl why do you hide so he couldn't wait anymore he took a step squeak His costume shoes were loud as he tread on the concrete floor of the warehouse. Squeak! His eyes scanned left and right, taking in the stacks of cardboard boxes, the sleeping forklift, the rows and rows of metal shelving. The smoke drifted in and out of his sightline as he breathed. In and out. In and out. They were both waiting for the other's next move. Don't make me wait! I don't like to wait! Whoosh! A soft flutter of papers pulled his attention to the left. Bingo. He saw her pink skirt just in time as she disappeared behind one of the shelving units. Squeak! 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 His footsteps echoed throughout the space. If he hadn't been on the hunt, it would have been comical. Instead, it was terrifying. Especially to the small child that sprinted away from him. The sound sent shivers up Cora's spine. The footsteps grew louder. He was gaining on her. She frantically looked around. To the left was an endless sea of crates and packages. To the right... Were shelves, Good enough, she thought. She could use her small frame to her advantage. She ducked to the left and as quietly as she could started to climb up the side of a metal unit. Cora had to stretch her arms and legs as far as they could go in order to reach the next shelf. She strained, but she did it. Fuck! The clown's voice deepened with anger. I'm not fucking around anymore, princess! Where are you? She reached her left arm up as high as she could and pulled herself to another level. It was dark and her head was pounding. She tucked herself behind a box. She strained to remember what happened. It had been her birthday. It was a party. She had been so excited to wear the pink dress. Her mother had found it for her at the mall. She looked down. Now it was torn and muddied. There had been screaming. But before that, cake. Her sister had brought out the Carvel box. She remembered that. She remembered the sugary excitement in the air as they lit the candles. The other kids had been huddled around her, like a tiny mob, all pushing closer and closer to the front. They sang. They blew out the candles. It took her three tries. Everyone cheered. It was later, after the cake. They were all running around in the small, fenced-in yard. The shoes... She remembered seeing the clown shoes first. She wasn't sure. Who was this? He's here! He's here! Her mom had said. Who was he? She had thought. He saw her talking to her mother. Over there! Her mom had pointed to Cora. The clown had come over, squirted her face with a flower shaped water gun. Everyone laughed. She didn't. She heard the other moms talking. A clown? How weird. I hate clowns. She remembered feeling embarrassed for her mom. She knew they didn't have a lot of money for a party. She decided to pretend to be really happy the clown was there. What had happened next? She remembered the squeaking of balloons as he made her a latex replica of her dog. Pete. she hated the noise it was like nails on a chalkboard but she liked the animals he made her a hat too she clapped and smiled then what she had woken up as the rain hit her face she felt the hard bumpy asphalt below her she had pushed herself up too quickly and felt dizzy She had seen him watching her, crouched next to her, smoking, looking, laughing. How had she gotten here? There was no time to figure it out. She had sprinted up and ran into an open rusted door into this warehouse. He hadn't expected that. He was slow. He had lost her. Now she pulled her knees in closer, as she hid behind the box on the shelf. She could still hear him squeak, squeak, squeaking around the warehouse. His breath was labored. She remembered what her mother had told her about smoking, how it killed your lungs. She thought he was a pretty stupid clown for smoking. Don't panic, she thought again. He was coming closer. He was in her row of shelves. She could smell the burning tobacco and body odor. She slowed her breath. Fuck! 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 He screamed shockingly loud. She jumped. She gasped. Ever so slightly. She clasped her hand to her mouth. Squeak! Squeak! He was walking again. He hadn't heard her. She moved her head two slight inches to the right, just enough to peek around the edge of the box. Something was glinting, picking up the red neon exit sign. Something in his hand. A knife. She clasped her hand harder against her mouth. He can't see you, she reminded herself. She was above his eyeline, looking down at his balding head. The white makeup stopped halfway, leaving the back of his head and neck bare. It looked red and irritated. She thought he must not know about her mom's face wash. He didn't look like he washed himself much. "'I'm not leaving here until I find you!' he snarled into the room. "'I will wait here forever! I don't give a shit! You aren't leaving here!' Don't panic. Suddenly the squeaking stopped. She rotated her head to the right. He was staring right at her. A slow grin spread across his grotesque mouth. He flipped the knife in his hand until the blade was pointed toward her, and he started to sprint. She scrambled, knocking boxes around as she moved through the massive industrial shelf, trying to get away from him trying to keep calm, trying to survive. He was at the base of the shelf. Climbing would be much easier for him. He was three times taller than she was. He took his first step up, putting the knife in his teeth to free up both hands. He spit the smoldering cigarette onto the floor. She could see his dirty fingernails as he gripped the shelf she was on his hand a mere foot from her leg. She tried to keep moving, but she was out of room. All she could do was crawl back and forth on the shelf. Trying to move up or down would expose her too much. She started to kick at his hand. Shit, he yelled. His pinky finger was pointed in the wrong direction now bitch she kept kicking and hitting him away but it was no use he was much stronger she struggled as he grabbed her arm and started to pull her out just then a loud slow creak filled the warehouse a crack of light and it grew wider and wider spilling muted color over the room they both froze A huge garage door was lifting. She could see at least three pairs of feet on the other side. Now knees, legs, torsos. The door was wide open now, revealing three full-bodied people. Help! She screamed as loud as she could. Her little voice broke with fear and relief and thirst. Please help me! He's
2: trying to kill me!
4: "'God damn it!' the clown said. The people ran forward. They were dressed in workers' clothes, jumpsuits and gloves and heavy boots. They saw the clown, with the knife in its mouth. The little girl in the ripped pink party dress. The back alley door still ajar. They lunged forward, knocking the clown off of the metal shelf. "'Quick, throw me some rope!' one yelled. The other pulled duct tape from a box." They used that to bind the clown's hands behind his back. As he lay on the ground, he kept staring at the little girl, looking right at Cora as they lifted her off of the shelf and gently brought her over to the office. The clown could hear as they called the police and Cora's mom. He heard them reassure her that she would be okay, that he was going to go away forever. That he wouldn't be able to hurt her. He listened as the sirens approached and thought that she would be the last little girl whose birthday he got to ruin. The police took the clown shoes off of him. They walked him barefoot to the back of the car. The incident would haunt Cora for the rest of her life, but the image that stood out the most in her adult brain would be the abandoned clown shoes sitting on the ground in the warehouse. As if part of him still remained free.
0: Do you have goosebumps yet? Uh,
1: yeah, um, yes. Are you sure? No, no, I don't.
0: (laughs) You're a tough cookie.
1: I mean, I like the story.
0: Yeah, it's a good story. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun.
1: It's, it's, it has... Spooky elements?
0: What? How do you define scary?
1: Sea monsters.
0: That's it? Sea monsters exclusively? All right, then I got a story for you. Here we go. Roll the tape.
2: Underwater Theater.
0: Written in red by Abby Brinker. Clara had watched the worker slowly assemble the giant glass and steel structure, and then sink it into the spring lake. The signs had gone up days ago, and the balloons finally appeared today, marking the great opening. The crisp end of summer breeze lifted the ends of Clara's short auburn hair as she wove through the crowd, two tickets in hand. It was opening day at the underwater theater, and Clara's mother had sent her into the dense crowd to secure two tickets. Her mother could see her daughter's bright red coat and the matching hat bobbing closer. Mission accomplished. Clara didn't need to beg her mother that morning. She had spent two weeks talking about the opening, wearing her down. Now Clara proudly possessed two tickets to the underwater theater, and she couldn't believe it. Let's get in line, over here! Clara's mom called out to her daughter. Within seconds, Clara was by her side, a huge grin on her face. I'm so excited, Clara breathed, as they joined the queue of people waiting to be admitted. The sign at the ticket booth said there's a show every hour on the hour. I hope we get into the first one. I want to be the first one to see it. Patience, Clara. There are a lot of people here. We are privileged to be able to come to a show. Some people can't afford, but I just... Clara stopped short as she saw the look on her mother's face. Oh, I know. They settled into silence and observed the buzz around them. Vendors walked up and down the line of people selling roasted nuts and spun sugar. A band played off near the entrance, enticing new townsfolk to stop by. And oh, Clara jumped, startled as a clown tapped her on the shoulder. Her mother gave her an encouraging nudge. Clara hated clowns. This one held up ten fingers in front of his face, as if Clara was not smart enough to know where his head had gone. He lowered them silently. Ta-da! She rolled her eyes. She wasn't a baby anymore. The man behind her clapped loudly. Clara was not here for roasted nuts or grown men in white face makeup. She was here for the mermaids. The sign had distinctly shown two beautiful mermaids that supposedly lived in Spring Lake all this time. There had been mermaids right down the street from her home, and she had no idea. The line started to move. Clara took very deliberate steps forward, trying her very, very best to be patient. They were letting people in. She craned her neck, trying to see what was ahead. The top of the sunken theater poked out over the smooth surface of the water. It looked like a submarine, complete with the top deck for people to observe. The line was really moving now. Only three people in front of them. Two. And then Clara extended her hand to the ticket taker. Two, please, she said with a cheery smile. Enjoy, little miss. The man tipped his hat and winked at her mom. And then he called. That's it. The theater's full for the first show. Stay in line and you'll be in the next one. Did you hear that, mom? We just made it. It was meant to be. Her mom returned. The pair walked up onto the observation deck before arriving at a hole in the center with a drop ladder, which admitted them to the underwater theater. Inside, the sun melted away immediately. Clara's eyes took a few seconds to adjust to the red velvet seats, floor, walls, and ceilings. It was like being inside the fanciest underwater car she'd ever seen. "'Holy cow,' she whispered under her breath. "'Holy cow is right,' her mom repeated. There were sconces along the walls, admitting just enough light for Clara to find the last two seats. There was a low murmur of excitement. The other patrons didn't know what to expect either. They were all in it together. "'Ladies and gentlemen!' A voice boomed from all directions. The entire crowd jumped. Welcome to the maiden voyage of the underwater theater at Spring Lake, a feat of modern engineering, a marvel of our times. You're about to find out the secrets of the deep. You're about to be dazzled by the previously unknown. You and only you can say you were the first to experience a new show that will surely sweep across the nation and globe. Be sure to tell your friends. Clara's mother squeezed her daughter's hand as two boys dressed in dark colors slowly slid the partitions away from the windows that lined the walls, letting in the most brilliant aquamarine light they had ever seen. The crowd gasped. Clara squealed with delight. This was it. She was going to see a real mermaid. For a moment, everyone sat in silence, taking in the beautiful water, swirling seaweed and effervescent bubbles, and then the water churned. To the left and the right, there was movement. Tails swishing. Mermaids. It was hard to see. Everyone was craning their necks and blocking the view. The aqua women swam towards the center of the window and Clara finally got a good look. They were beautiful. They were magical. But wait, what was that? What was that thick black cable running from their mouths? Clara looked around, stunned. These were not mermaids. These were humans in mermaid costumes. Mermaids could breathe underwater on their own. Clara was sure of it. But somehow, no one else in the crowd seemed to notice, or care. Clara crossed her arms and frowned. Her mother noticed and asked, What's wrong, darling? Isn't this fabulous? No, it isn't. Clara tried to cross her arms even harder. Clara, what's wrong? Her mom bent down, closer to her daughter. Before the little girl could respond, something else moved in the water. It was approaching very quickly. Swimming with extreme ease through the crystal clear lake, Clara's interest peaked. A new mermaid swam towards them with finesse and flair, and maybe... anger? The water molecules seemed to restructure around her, propelling her through the water at extreme speed, bending around her to make channels and currents at her whim. The figure was now only a few feet behind the fake human mermaids. Claire could see it was a third mermaid, but something about her was different. Her long, tangled hair wasn't blonde or brunette like the other two, it was murky, somehow shimmering green— Her scales looked so real, jagged almost. She looked like she could slice you in half with one powerful swoosh of her tail. And her skin was so different than any other skin Clara had ever seen. It wasn't soft and fleshy. It was covered with barnacles and calluses. Clara looked up at her mother, who seemed to be considering the new act with caution. Something about her just looks so real, Clara's mom said. And then Clara noticed she didn't have an air hose. I think she is real, mom. Clara's mom smiled and laughed, her eyes fluttering back to the show. Clara watched as the human mermaids spun around, at first confused and then scared. They started to frantically swim back towards the shore. Their eyes were wide with terror, but talons caught both by their fake tails, ripping them off. The real mermaid's jaw unhinged to reveal rows and rows of teeth lining her maw. She yanked the bare-legged women towards her and chewed up the blonde first. There was an overwhelming silence as water filled her lungs. Clara watched as panic descended around them. People started to scramble and trample each other as they fought to leave the theater. Clara's mom grabbed her daughter's hand and pulled the girl towards the exit, fighting against the sardined crowd. A dull thump echoed around them. Clara looked back over her shoulder to see the creature thrashing her tail against the glass. She hit the window once, twice, three times, and a small crack emerged. Clara's eyes widened as she followed it up, up, up. It splintered across the entire pane. Run, Clara! Clara's mom pushed her towards the ladder. You're small. Go through. I'll be okay. I'll meet you up there. No, Mom, wait! It was too late. Clara's mom gave her daughter one final shove before the crowd swallowed her up. Clara ran towards the ladder. She easily ducked between adults and within seconds felt the reassuring steel ladder under her hands. She climbed up as fast as she could. People were forcing her up and out at the top of the platform. She tried to duck her head back into the hole fighting against the stream of emerging people. Mom, she screamed into the crowd. Mom, where did you go? As her eyes scanned the dim sunken theater, Clara noticed the creature outside another powerful hit and the window sprang a leak. Water trickled in dangerously from the established crack, but the pressure was too great. With a loud crash water gushed in flooding the theater still full of patrons Blood-curdling screams filled the air. "'Mom!' Clara called. "'Clara!' Clara followed the voice. There she was. Her mom was almost to the steel ladder, just a few more people to go. "'Hang on, Mom!' From above, Clara could see the water starting to fill the tank. The vile creature was ripping away at the glass, slithering through the opening. Clara's mind raced. "'What could she do? How could she save her mom?' "'Please, please don't hurt her!' Clara screamed. "'Please let her be okay,' she whispered to herself." The stampede of people intensified, and Clara was involuntarily carried away from the entrance by the horde. People continued to pour out of the theater entrance hall as gruesome, guttural noises filled the air. Clara spun left. A man was frantically looking for his wife. To her right, the clown had tripped on his shoes as he tried to run away. A slow trickle of red dyed the water around the platform. Clara watched as the red water spread and spread until the entire shoreline was bloody. The ground around her was too densely packed with people for her to stand, but Clara crawled back towards the theater. Mom, she called meekly. The din around her started to fade into a static buzz. Mom, please. As she neared the waterline, splashing noises caught her attention. It looked like a giant school of oversized fish had started to circle the sunken theater, maybe here to feast on the remains. But Clara squinted. They weren't fish. They were mermaids. Clara froze, not wanting to get too close to the lake. The mermaid pack jumped and flitted through the bloody water, as if they weren't terrifying monsters but minnows learning to swim. Clara pushed them from her mind, determined to find her mother. Mom! She called with renewed strength. Where are you? She screamed. With an ear splitting noise, an inhuman screech came from one of the mer people. Clara wheeled around as terror washed over her, freezing her from the inside out. One mer person floated away from the pack, bobbing and hissing. Clara would recognize her mother anywhere, even as an undead sea creature. Clara's mother's once loving eyes now flashed red. Her hair was knotted and tangled. Her skin looked venomous. Clara stumbled to her feet and slowly backed away from the lake. The mermaid's hollow eyes tracked her daughter. Clara broke out into a run towards the road. Tears poured down her face as she realized she was alone now. The mermaid let out an awful screech. Clara turned around. No longer sure which monster was her mother. Okay, we did sea monsters, right? That was a sea monster. Pretty spooky. Was it scary though? I,
1: I mean, we did a deep dive into this story because I, I, I love it.
0: Yeah, that's thank you. It's
1: great. It is. It, this is this one absolutely belongs on the list of spookiest stories. Great. Is it spooky? Spooky stories or scary stories?
0: Scary. Scary. But it depends how you. To me, I think spooky is sort of like. Like, ooh, little ghosts, like Casper. Casper is spooky, right? But, like, Mike Myers is scary. So that's my, like, spectrum of fear. My, spooky my, to scary.
1: Michael Myers.
0: Yeah, Michael Myers.
1: Mike Myers is not scary. Freddy,
0: spooky. Jason, scary.
1: Mike Myers is Austin Powers.
0: Okay, all right. Yeah, yeah, that's not sc- I mean, it is scary in a way.
1: How's that, How's that scary?
0: I don't like it. I know that's controversial. I don't know. Why I don't, don't get it.
1: What you, you don't get it?
0: I don't get it. I don't like it. I'm uncomfortable with it. I don't like awesome. I don't know. Why I'm talking about this right now, but I don't like it. All right, roll the tape. Let's let's get back on track.
1: Lamona, written and narrated
2: by Jared Kerr. Through the dense jungle, the old man watched the woman and followed behind. Just one morning prior, he had watched as his son's body was pulled from the boca. He watched as the policia pointed to the deep red bites taken from his torso and explained the crocodiles had taken him under. He watched as they took photos of his body, cataloging every instance of trauma. He watched as they photographed bruised purple and black markings down his backside. His blood had run cold then for he knew those markings and had seen them before. He knew of what unspeakable horror they signified. He told the policia nothing of what he knew, only watched as they put his boy's soaked and bloated body on a stretcher. After he had left the river mouth, traveled by horseback to his home in the mountains, and broken the news to his wife, he sat himself down in a roughly hewn chair, on the porch overlooking their property, opened a bottle of clear, fiery liquor, and did not stir for a night and a day. Only watched the jungle. Not even his wife's primal sobs and howls of grief that poured from the open windows of the house could move him. He watched the trees swaying in soft night breezes and contemplated the terrifying ordeal he knew he would soon subject himself to. He watched the sun rise over the jungle, watched as the wildlife migrated from their places of rest and foraged before the sun grew too hot and they again retired to sleep in shady branches. At dusk, his youngest boy came to him, begging him to eat, to rest. The old man did not so much as look at him, and so the boy relented. She had returned. He knew it just as his father had known it all those years ago when he first showed the bruised purple markings of her spell. Had he not told his own son the stories? Had he not warned him of the sinister forces alive in the jungle? She had returned. Who could he tell that his son had not died by accident, that he had been selected, that he had forgotten his judgment and paid with his life? They would call him mad as they had called his father. There was a time when the people of this land knew the truth of things. It was so far back in memory now, everyone forgot she ever existed. As night fell, the old man rose from his chair, and taking a small cross from the wall over the dining room table, he saddled his horse and rode towards the distant light of town, the tortured sobs of his wife echoing at his back. He knew where to look for her. Anywhere that sadness and longing hung over men's heads and permeated. Anywhere that desperation and desire mixed. He reined his horse to a slow trout as he rounded the road out of the mountains and onto the broad dirt road through town. The thick stench of molasses that coated the primitive road to keep down dust engulfed him as he passed the dark and quiet market where poor men sold their crop. The distant bellowing of howler monkeys tumbled through thick vegetation, heralding his arrival as he trotted down the quiet road. The subdued rollicking of the bar lay up ahead. Clicking his tongue, he urged his horse forward and tightened his grip on the cross beneath his shirt, digging into his chest. He ordered three fingers of tequila along with the bottle, took his drink to a shadowed corner and waited. He watched as men grew bold on their drink and made suggestive inquiries with the women, and as others grew sullen and commiserated with their cracked, overworked hands. As the night wore on and patrons made their entrances and stumbling exits, he noted each face. He knew them all, not by name, but their faces he had seen. As these faces paired off or left alone, he watched them, Before long, the bar was empty, save himself and a trio of sullen and sleepy men who had been passed over in the night's selection. That was when she arrived. Barefoot and clothed in a flowing dress, she entered like a whisper and made her way to the quiet bar. Her face was not one he had seen before. Her large, dark eyes, which passed over him upon entering seemed to steal all focus on her undoubtedly beautiful face. He told himself not to look at them, and yet, although he knew his terrible purpose, how easy it was to forget, how easily all people forget the stories they're told to keep them safe, how innocent it may seem to look into an unknown woman's eyes and forget. He reminded himself of his resolution and fingered the cross beneath his shirt. The woman looked to the bartender. He drank her in wordlessly and poured a glass. She picked up the glass. He returned to his work without asking for payment. She gazed upon the trio at the end of the bar. One of them was near slumbering, his mouth slack and chin in hand. The other two talked in low whispers and stole glances at the woman. Poor fools! Assessing their chances with such a woman, oblivious to their undesirable nature, how quickly they forget their sorrows of the evening, and how easily they become prey. The old man could detect a nearly imperceptible quiver run through the woman as her famished gaze racked the poor fools over the coals of her black eyes. The old man quietly withdrew the cross from beneath his shirt and held it firm beneath the table. Suddenly, the woman's gaze viperously snapped to him as if burned. He held her gaze with a look that warned her, I know what you are. She rose abruptly, and as quickly as she had entered, she was gone. The old man finally drank his shot, grabbed the bottle of tequila, and followed after. Along the molasses-coated road, she swiftly retreated. He kept his distance and hid himself behind a copse of Guanacosta trees when she looked in his direction. On the outskirts of town, where the wild jungle met civilization, she slipped into the dense tree line like a spirit. The old man stole one last look at town, daring himself to let her go, but then remembered the gaping wounds on his boy's body and followed her in. Beneath the jungle canopy, the air was thick and hot, The buzz and bites of insects assaulted him. The howler monkeys in the trees bellowed. He could just barely make out the form of the woman twenty yards ahead of him, emerging in and out of splashes of ghostly moonlight puncturing the canopy. Her footfalls were silent, her movements jerking yet fluid-seeming. Beneath the roar of the howlers he began to hear a soft, childlike giggle. His inside shrank and withered at the sound. He pressed forward, every particle within him crying out against it. He wiped a stinging bead of sweat from his eye, and when he opened his eyes again, he had lost her. He stopped in his tracks. A fallen branch snickered beneath his heel. He watched the jungle. Nothing moved. The howlers roared and the insects bit. Could he still hear it? Yes. There it was soft, childish laughter under it all. He watched and waited for what felt an eternity, when there she was, rising up from the ground like a roiling shadow, she appeared. The laughter grew louder as her silvery, flowing arms rose above her head. With long, skittering fingers, she ran her hands into the thick hair of her scalp. The howler screamed. The laughter grew louder still. The old man gripped the cross at his breast and went cold. For it was then he watched in horror as the woman peeled the skin from her skull, her laughter gurgling forth as a hellish shriek. She peeled the skin from her shoulders down her backside and let her arms go limp as her flesh sloughed off at her feet and piled itself there like a discarded robe. Her form glistened sickly in the moonlight, Her long, apish arms, thick with matted hair, hung at her knees. Her curved and gnarled spine rose between her shoulder blades like a dog's hackle. Her once shimmering, voluminous hair, now replaced by a tangle of scraggly strands, matted together, giving glimpse of the veiny skull beneath. He could not see her face, but knew it would prove most horrible of all. Cackling, she arched back to her full height, near seven feet, craned her face to the sky, and tore off into the jungle with a manic peal of deafening laughter. The howlers screamed as the jungle crashed and splintered in her wake. He knew what he must now do. His father had told him and his father's father before that. Why had he not told his own son? He could hear the creature thrashing distantly through the jungle. Now was his only chance. He sprinted to the discarded flesh. On his knees, hands quaking, he held the flesh before him. Fire, fire was the only way. He pulled the cork from the tequila bottle with his teeth and spat it aside, dousing the flesh with the pungent liquor. He pulled the worn and tarnished lighter his father had given him from his pocket and held it against the flesh. The howler's screams were near deafening. His shaking hand struggled against the flint when suddenly the jungle went dead, quiet. Quiet. The old man watched the darkness with frantic eyes. A single bug whizzed through silence. Now, do it now. Fire is the only way, but he could not get his body to act. It was then that he knew she was already upon him. Though he could not see her, could not watch her. He knew she was rising up behind, all spindly limbs and icy skin, The cross dug into his palm. He turned to face her, but it was already finished. The howlers wailed over laughter.
0: All right, was that one enough to burst your fear threshold?
1: Uh, I mean, I thought we burst already.
0: I've been burst, but you...
1: (laughs) So you, I'm, I'm you're, always you're po- scared. Post, you're never scared. You're post burst.
0: <laughs> oh my god. Uh,
1: yeah. No. It's okay. It's okay. I mean, again, we're ba- we're back to. I love the story. I love the elements of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: it's it's. I I. I mean, I love. You're a fan. I'm a fan of the story. Yeah. Am I scared? N- no.
0: What's the Most scared you've ever been?
1: Pro- probably the scariest haunted house ever up in a gun
0: oh my god you're being so annoying i just want to know the truth <laughs> i just so, want to get to the core so, of who you are so scary it wasn't so scary
1: uh, you were pretty scared yeah
0: but you weren't i, I was, was scared no we i was pretty scared there was a guy with a a, a chainsaw yeah i hate that they what if it's a real chainsaw All right, well, let's see if this story is scarier than the most scary haunted house attraction that you've ever been to, okay? Okay. We'll check back in.
1: Here we go.
2: To the Moon, Red and Red,
1: by Alan Kudan. You have the tickets, right? Jean anxiously asked for the millionth time. Yep, they haven't moved since last time you asked, quipped Gordon. Are you excited to be an astronaut? Jean looked around the spaceport terminal. Large posters depicted life on the moon as paradise. Inside the massive biodomes were jobs. Everyone had their own house, and people always looked happy. She and her husband had finally decided to emigrate from Earth, but it wasn't an easy decision. Sure, the Earth was on its last legs. The ice caps had melted years ago, there was a global food and energy crisis... And the smog was so bad that not a single person on Earth had seen the moon or stars in decades. But, Earth was home. They were about to leave behind the home that they had made for themselves, as meager as it was, but they were trading it for a future. A place where she and Gordon could finally have a child and not worry about nationwide smog toxicity warnings. And to actually see the night sky. The moon and stars seemed almost like mythology. She had seen countless pictures and videos of the moon, but to actually go there and see it with her own two eyes seemed like a risk worth taking. They arrived at spaceport security and prepared for the normal hassle. Jean put her hand on the silver bioscanner. The surly spaceport security officer looked back and forth between Jean and the bioelectric data readout that appeared on the screen. It appeared that no foreign objects or pathogens were in or on her body. Moments later, The officer waved her through, and Gordon stepped up to the scanner. He took a deep breath and presented the prepared documentation to the officer. "'What's this?' the officer asked with a less than amused tone. "'I have a medical condition that exempts me from undergoing any silver bioscanners. However, if you look at that documentation, you'll see that I have had a full medical examination and background check by a government-approved administrator.' The seal on the last page certifies that these examinations have occurred within the last 48 hours as per your own guidelines. The security officer stared at him dully. I need you to put your hand on the scanner, sir. Just takes a second. I have a medical condition that... Sir, are you refusing to comply? The officer's hand had already moved to the radio hand mic on their shirt. No, it's just that if you take two seconds to actually look at the documentation, you'll see... The officer began speaking to the radio. "'We have a Code 14 at Spaceport Security requesting additional—' "'No, no, that won't be necessary.' Gordon put his hand on the scanner. The officer eyed Gordon in the readout hard, and kept the scan going for much longer than necessary. Finally, they again spoke into the radio. "'Cancel the Code 14, all clear. That wasn't so hard now, was it? Have a great trip to the moon, sir.' Gordon wanted to rip the smug grin off the officer, but simply grabbed his documentation and caught up with Jean. How bad? Jean asked. Gordon showed her his palm that had touched the scanner. It was now covered in horrific blisters and burns. He had lived with this strange silver allergy all his life, but normally it was something easily avoided. Why the hell did we go get you checked out and certified if some moron on a power trip can still do this? Gordon sighed, clenched his burned hand, and smiled at his wife. In just under 16 hours, that Rent-A-Cop and all those other morons will literally be a world away. Come on, let's go be astronauts. A few more cues later and Jean and Gordon were finally aboard the spacecraft. They couldn't afford one of the private cabins, so they shared a cabin with an elderly couple. After some brief introductions, everyone settled in and prepared for liftoff. The little old woman, introduced as Mrs. Lopez, couldn't help but notice how Jean was digging her nails into the armrests. First time she asked knowingly jean would have blushed if she wasn't so pale from anxiety yeah what gave me away don't worry we do this trip twice a year said mrs lopez sweetly liftoff can be a bit rocky but there's no turbulence in space jean smiled politely but she didn't look too reassured gordon tried to change the subject you go to the moon twice a year Oh, the moon is just a layover stop for us. Our eldest runs one of the largest terraforming companies on Mars. Whenever we visit, he puts us in some new fancy high-rise. Mrs. Lopez bopped her husband. Give him the brochure. Mr. Lopez, without looking up from his book, reaches into his bag and pulls out one of many identical brochures and hands it to his wife. Take a look, said Mrs. Lopez. If I were you, I'd get in before the whole planet gets gobbled up. Gordon and Jean both smiled politely. Liftoff was indeed a bit rocky. Gordon and Gene both held each other for dear life. Even with the inertial dampeners, they both still felt like their stomachs had dropped all the way back down to Earth. The spacecraft tore through the endless expanse of smog that had once been an ozone layer, and then all at once, the shaking stopped. The pilot's voice came over the loudspeaker. Good afternoon, folks. We have just broken through Earth's atmosphere. I'll be retracting the window heat shields on the starboard side of the spacecraft. But for all you port-side windows, you will have to wait a few hours. Otherwise, you'll be staring straight into the sun. And I doubt anyone brought enough sunblock for that. Some gentle chuckles sounded from the passengers. So enjoy your flight, and your space attendant will be with you shortly to take drink orders. Gene and Gordon both moved to the windows as the heat shields retracted. And there they were. Stars. Brilliant, glowing pearls in an endless black ocean. They're incredible, said Jean. Just wait till you see the moon, darling, replied Mrs. Lopez. Hours went by, but Gordon and Jean never got sick of seeing space. They both undid their seatbelts and experienced zero gravity for the first time. They floated around the little cabin and only stopped when they noticed the bemused gaze of Mrs. Lopez. The familiar ding of the pilot's PA system grabbed their attention. We've begun our orbital approach of the moon. Sorry to all those on the port side of the spacecraft, as this view is for all our starboard passengers out there. You can just catch a sliver of it now, but as we enter orbit, you'll be treated to a full broadside view of the moon before we slingshot around to our landing zone just outside the Sea of Tranquility. Gene and Gordon unbuckled and rushed to the window. If they pressed their faces just right, they could see the very edge of their new home the brilliant gleaming white what's wrong jean asked her husband gordon pushed back from the window and looked very ill he clutched his burned hand i'm not sure he stammered with effort jean rushed to him you're burning up let me see your hand gordon opened his palm and before his eyes his wounds were healing jean looked around for any answers before meeting the eyes of mr lopez i'll uh, go find a doctor he blustered as he swept aside the cabin's privacy curtain and shuffled out. "'Gordon, please, what's going on?' begged Jean. but he couldn't peel his eyes away from the window. The glowing white moon made the cabin brighter and brighter. "'I—I—I don't—I—I—' I. The spaceship banked slightly, and suddenly the moon became a brilliant spotlight shining through the cabin window. Gordon screamed in agony. "'We've just begun our lunar orbit,' the pilot said over the speaker. We should begin our descent in just over 20 minutes. Enjoy the view. Gordon writhed in his seat. Jean tried to get his seat restraints on him to keep him from floating, but his convulsions were making it impossible. "Help me!" she yelled at Mrs. Lopez. The old woman looked on with fear and disgust. "I'll go see if my husband needs help." Just as she moved to exit the cabin, Mr. Lopez returned with one of the space attendants. "What well, seems to be the the attendant's cheerful smile melted off. Gordon's skin had started to split along the length of his arms. Dark, black fur ruptured through each new fissure. Everyone but Jean watched in stunned silence. ''Do something!'' she screamed. ''He needs a doctor!'' The attendant snapped back to reality. He pushed a button on the in-wall communicator. ''Cabiner Bridge, we have a, 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 a sick passenger in Section 18 Charlie.'' "'Send the ship's doctor as well as a security detail.' "'The attendant pushed over to Gordon and Jean. "'Okay, sir, we're going to try to get you back into your seat restraints, okay? Uh, "'Can you help us with that?' Gordon screamed and convulsed. "'It was as if his bones were growing and shifting inside his body. "'Ma'am, please give me a hand.' "'He and Jean struggled to get Gordon back into his seat. "'Just as they latched the first restraint, "'Gordon's free hand shot onto the throat of the attendant. "'The man gasped for air.' but Gordon's hand burst into five long, powerful black fingers, each tipped with dagger-like talons. Gene heaved on Gordon's hand, trying to pry the claws from the man's neck. Gordon looked at his mutated arm as it acted on its own. With an immense show of will, he forced the black arm to release the man, his eyes snapping to those of his wife. I- I'm sorry. I-, I don't know why I, I did that, stammered Gordon through the labored breaths. What's, what's happening, Jean? Just then, the ship's doctor and security detail arrived from the cabin. What the hell? exclaimed the doctor. The space attendant choked and coughed as they clutched their bruised neck. One of the security officers drew their blaster and pointed it at Gordon. Please, my husband is sick. He has a medical condition. Jean was cut short by the sound of her husband's chest splitting open. He screamed as black fur began to slip forth. Gordon could find no breath. His panic eyes pleaded for help. The security officer fired. Before Jean could react, she watched the white-hot plasma bolt explode into her husband's head. Gore, fur, and bone ricocheted around the small cabin. She looked with hysterical disbelief. He was dead. Her husband had just been murdered. Her gaze drifted down. Bits of her beloved were scattered across her. "'Ma'am, are you okay?' asked one of the men. She brought her hand up. Embedded in her palm was one of Gordon's molars. She closed her hand around it into a fist. You killed him. Just like that. The officer that had fired lowered his blaster. Why don't we sit down in another cabin? Calmly suggested the doctor. Jean stared at her husband's murderer, and her stupor escalated to anger. Suddenly, her clenched hand felt like it was on fire as if a small ball of molten lead began to burn its way deeper into her hand and into her very being. The officer must have noticed the crazed look in her eye. His grip on the weapon tightened. Just do what the doctor says, ma'am. Suddenly, she could feel it all. The burning sensation shot through her body like trapped lightning. She could feel the heat radiating from everyone around her, hear their heartbeats, smell their fear. Most importantly, she could feel the moonlight pouring into her. It sluiced into her. She couldn't take it. She had to get out. She had to get out of her skin. And then she did. All at once. The flesh that resembled Jean torn asunder. There then stood an impossibly large wolf-like creature. Its jet-black fur barely concealed the rippling muscle along every hulking appendage its yellow canine eyes again found gordon's killer he tried to raise his blaster but the wolf was too quick with one swipe the man's head was separated from his shoulders mrs lopez covered in gore and still clinging to the corner of the small cabin yelled kill it kill the damn thing the rest of the security detail tried to push into the small cabin but the thing that was jean pushed off the wall and launched herself out of the doorway she scattered the guards as they ricocheted around the main cabin. A cacophony of screams erupted from everyone in the main cabin as a massive black wolf creature began bouncing around through the zero gravity, slashing and biting anyone that came within striking distance. The passengers all tried to free themselves from their seat restraints as panic overwhelmed the crowd. One of the security officers pulled himself up to one of the in-wall communicators. Bridge, we have a code 66. Assailant is hostile and armed. Well sorta of. it it's a huge freaking werewolf this is bridge go again please confirm code 66 and did you say werewolf the captain and the rest of the bridge crew waited for a response but none came all right said the captain alert ground control that we might have a situation and switch over to autopilot i'm seeing what the hell is going on back there The captain pushed in the combination to an armored safe in the cockpit and removed a plasma rifle. He headed back towards the main cabin. What he found was a massacre. Gore, blood, and the occasional identifiable body part floated around through the zero-gravity cabin. The captain pushed through a mass of floating entrails before he saw it. He knew it was coming, but he still couldn't believe it. Chowing down on one of his former security officers was indeed a huge freaking werewolf the passengers that were still alive were huddled at the far end of the cabin the captain aimed his plasma rifle, the wolf creature snarled as her powerful legs ready to lunge, the beast exploded towards the captain just as a white hot plasma beam shot from his rifle it wasn't long before the spaceship finished its lunar orbit and came in for a landing the ship, still on autopilot gently touched down inside one of the large domed hangars As the large, retractable roof slid shut and verified a seal, the whole hangar pressurized with atmosphere. Airlocks opened and spaceport crew rushed to the ship. I want emergency and medical teams standing by, called one of the staff members. We have a code 66, people. Armed security guards moved to the outside of the spaceship and began to open the passenger hatch. The seal popped and the hatch swung wide. Flashlight beams poured into the dark interior of the ship. There was a scampering... Or maybe a running noise that echoed from inside. The noise grew as one of the beams reflected two yellow canine eyes glaring out from the abyss. The pack burst forth from the vessel. A horde of black, white, and gray werewolves swarmed from the hatch and into the waiting personnel. Screams and gun blasts resounded as a single hulking matriarch stepped forth from the craft. She watched her new children tear through the struggling men and women. The thing that was Jean pushed her great pawed foot firmly against the ground. Gordon, she thought, we're home.
0: And the jury says, was it scarier than the haunted house?
1: Nothing is scarier than the haunted house.
0: <laughs> okay. We tried. Thank you guys so much for listening to our spookiest and, in some cases, scariest stories. We had a lot of fun curating these and kind of picking out some really freaky gems for you, we
1: hope. Got some winners.
0: Yeah, we got some winners. And again, these stories have all been featured in the past on the podcast, but we love them so much and we wanted to give a little, you know refresher to some people especially we have some new listeners and so here are some of the hits for you you uh, know yeah not uh, all of the hits but some of the hits
1: some of the, the a percentage of the hits
0: a percentage of the hits a
1: low percentage
0: a low percentage of the hits yeah <laughs> yes and thank you again so much for everybody who wrote stories that were featured in this episode who performed stories that were featured yeah check you guys the, are the best be
1: on the lookout in the mail for your royalty checks
0: that's right <laughs> And as always, stay safe, stay well, stay spooky. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you'd like some bonus content, consider supporting us on Patreon to access our patron exclusive podcast, Horror Movie Club.
1: Also head to lunaticsproject.com to check out our spooky merch and apparel.
0: You can find us at Lunatics Project on Twitter and TikTok. And The Lunatics Project on Instagram and YouTube, where you'll find our short horror films, cemetery tours, and so much more.
1: And please rate and review. A little feedback goes a long way to help us grow and get more content out there.
0: Our cover art is by Pilar Kep, and musical bumpers are by Michaela Papa and Jordan Moser.